Well, it's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, relationships today, and relationships seem to be a something that we as a culture don't do very well. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Uh, social media, I don't think, has really helped a whole lot. Um, we have lots of friends and followers, and uh, we get live updates about what they think and feel, and uh, little emojis. But um, it's just not quite the same. And it, it seems to have promoted this, uh, I could just call it a culture of inch-deep relationships. So don't get very personal, don't go very deep. And I think that's symptomatic of something within us as humans, something that reaches down to a broken place that we have. And ultimately, if we, if we just address symptoms, we're not really going to have the relationships that we want, the relationships that God designed us for. So we're going to look and talk this morning about real relationships. We're going to look first at how God designed relationships. Then we're going to see why they struggle to help get some insight into who we are. And then finally, we're going to see what is God's solution for our relationship issues. <clears throat> we're primarily going to be in Genesis 2 and 3, so you can go ahead and turn your Bible there. We're not going to be there quite yet, but you can have it open. So first of all, how were relationships designed? What were they meant to be? Well, first of all, relationships were meant to reflect God. First and foremost, that's what they were meant to do. Because, you see, God is relational. We, we as, a, as a Christian faith, we believe that God is Trinity. He's three equal persons that share a divine essence. And uh, that can get really heady. You mean, what? How in the world can you get your head around that? But it's really a lot more simple than we want to maybe in theological circles admit to. But <clears throat> ultimately, we see that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, in Genesis 1.26. So we as humans are meant to reflect this personal, relational God as he exists in relationship with himself. And, and, and as, as we look at that, we see that uh, it confirmed in Genesis 2.18, it says, when God looked at the man that he created, he, he looked at Adam and he said, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. Because as creatures that reflect the image of God, we need to be in relationship with others because God is a relational God. We're going to see this because 1 John 4, verse 16 says, God is love. Love doesn't exist in a vacuum. Love can't just be this feeling. Love has to be this intentional, um, just a uh, um, intimate knowledge and care for another. So it requires an other. If God's just all by himself, he would have needed something to love. He would have needed a creation, but if he, did, if he needed a creation, then he would cease to be God because God is all self-sufficient and he doesn't need anything. He's completely satisfied. And, and, and we, we see that this is only possible through the father-son relationship that has existed throughout all of eternity. And we, we look at that and we go, okay, I'm starting to get the idea now. There's a relationship within the Godhead, a father who loves his son. And there's, there's, a, there's a quote from one of the early church fathers, uh, St. Augustine. And uh, he pondered this, this God that we serve, who's three persons and yet one God. And, 
And, and he put it in relational terms. He says, now when I, who am asking about this, love anything, there are three things present. I myself, what I love, and love itself. For I cannot love love unless I love a lover. For there is no love where nothing is loved. So there are three, excuse me, there are three things, the lover, the love, and the love between them. This gets a little bit easier if you see it on the next slide. The father is the lover. The son is the beloved. The Holy Spirit is the bond of love between them. We see that from John 3.35 and 5.20. The father loves the son. There's this love relationship that exists within God himself. And this love is so powerful, so expansive, and so precious that God wanted to share that. He didn't need to, but he wanted to. And so he creates man, and he creates him to reflect him. Relationally, personally, it's Adam and Eve, and they were designed to be together and to share a special love relationship that God has. So relationships were meant to reflect God, and secondly, relationships were meant to be safe and open. They were meant to be safe and open. Look at Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What are you talking about? Why would you use that verse, John? They were naked and not ashamed. They were completely open, completely vulnerable, completely transparent, completely exposed. And that's how relationships were meant to be. They were meant to be transparent. They were meant to be open. They were meant to be vulnerable because that's who our God is. There's nothing between him and his son. At least there wasn't until Calvary. So why do our relationships struggle? Because this, this is such a beautiful, beautiful picture of just this loving relationship where there's nothing between, there's no conflict, there's no issues. But that's not what we experience. We experience all sorts of difficulties in our relationships, whether it's our marriages, whether it's our kids, whether it's our parents, whether it's our employers. Relationships permeate our lives, and we do them very poorly as a whole. So why do our relationships struggle? I think Genesis 3 gives us some insight. First of all, Genesis 3, verse 4, we believe Satan's lies. We believe Satan's lies. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Our relationships struggle because we believe Satan's lies. These lies that he tells us about ourself, that he tells us about those that we care about, he tells us about God. This lie that he told Eve, it wasn't just, oh, you know, the fruit's actually really good, you should eat it. That has, that's not what he did. Because you see, he wanted to destroy the relationship that existed between God and his creatures. Because that relationship, that love that was there was something that reminded him of the God that he hated and he just wanted to see it disappear. And so he planted a seed and that seed of doubt was this. God is holding out on you. 
you can't trust him. He's not as he seems. He's not what he says. He's withholding from you. You need to take this for yourself. You've got to take life by the horns, and you've got to make it work for you. That's the lie that he's telling Eve. And that's the lie. Those are the same sorts of lies that we believe today. They destroy our relationships. We listen to his lies, and they, they, they go something like this. You know, I really am putting more into this relationship than the other person. I deserve better than this. You know, this isn't that big a deal. I, it's not going to hurt anybody. It, those are the sorts of lies that we listen to and we buy into. Or how about, God doesn't really care what I do. Or, you know, maybe God doesn't love me. He doesn't, you know, he, he loves other people, but he couldn't love me. There's no way, not with all of the stuff that I've done. These are the lies that we listen to, and they affect our relationship with God, and they reflect, they affect our relationship with others, and even with ourselves. So we listen to Satan's lives, lies. Excuse me. Secondly, we have something to hide. We have something to hide. Verse 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. Actually, uh, we'll start a little bit earlier. Um, now seven's good. Then the eyes of both, this is after they ate the fruit, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. This is so sad. They knew that they were naked now, so they hid. You know, earlier, naked was good, but now naked's bad. And we'd probably agree, that's probably not the greatest thing. We're glad we're all wearing clothes today. But <clears throat> they knew that something had changed, something had shifted within them. It was no longer safe to be that exposed. And so they hid find that they try and sew fig leaves together to try and cover up their vulnerabilities. They hid from God. They tried to cover up their shame. Shame of what they'd done. Of who they'd become. You know, I think, I think we do the same thing. <clears throat> no, I know it because I've done it. <clears throat> um, for us, we try and escape shame by going to some other place. You know, I think this is why fantasy and alternate realities have such a draw for us. Um, you know, I just, I love movies and television, and, you know, it's like another world. And, and, and I can distract myself, and I can forget about my shame for a while. I can numb it. I can pretend it's not there. I can suppress it. I can put it down. But ultimately, it's still there. No matter what fig leaves I try to come up with, I still have the shame, and it doesn't go away. And that shame forces me to hide. It forces me to run, to run away from the God who loves me, to run away from relationship with others, because relationships are built on truth. 
and honesty, vulnerability. They're not based on lies. They're not based on something fake. But God doesn't leave us in our lies. I love this. You know, he calls us and brings us into the light. If we see right here, but the Lord God, this is verse 9, after they heard God walking in the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? God doesn't leave us in our lies. He calls to us and he says, where are you? Where are you? That's the call of reality. That's the call of God inviting us back to relationship with himself. And it's a beautiful thing. Where are you? Our relationships have difficulty, not just because we believe Satan's lies and have something to hide, but because we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in this sin-cursed world. After they try and pass the buck of whose fault it was, God turns to Satan and he says to the serpent, because you've done this, this is verse 14, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We live in a sin-cursed world. You know, I used to think that God was cursing Adam and Eve in this section. And I see that there's a direct curse given to Satan. You know, cursed be you above all livestock. But with Adam and Eve, it's different. With Eve, he says, your pain's going to increase. Pain is going to increase. Pain in childbearing. Excuse me. Now, I'm a man, and uh, I don't relate to childbearing, and um, I don't think I ever will. I'm pretty confident I won't. But um, from everything that I've heard, it's pretty much the most awful experience you can go through. And I, I know that... It's childbearing pain, and that's what it says. But bearing children doesn't just end after delivery. Children are something that uh, they can bring great pain or great joy, and oftentimes in our world, it's great pain. Think of Adam and Eve in just uh, the very next account that you see. You have one of their sons killing the other son in a fit of jealous rage. I can't imagine anything more painful for a parent to experience than something like that. 
There's the pain of bad choices, but there's just the pain as well of a, a worried heart, sick of worry if we're possibly losing, losing children. I was talking to a woman this week, <clears throat> excuse me, who um, her 24-year-old son was diagnosed with liver cancer the day after Thanksgiving. And after several months of a brave fight, this young man passed away last week. And this, this woman's heart is broken, and she's grieving, and she's lost a son to no fault of his own. He never, he never drank, he never did drugs. You know, he, he, was, he was young, this is a disease that normally attacks someone three times his age, but, but he's gone, and she's left. And we live in a broken, sin-cursed world that brings pain and hurt. He goes on to tell Eve that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This, this, this is this picture of conflict, and it's so sad. Because here you had the very first perfect couple, probably the only perfect couple. I mean, they were literally made for each other, guys. <laughs> Thank you for that. But... But we look, at, we look at relationships and we see conflict and we say, oh, it's just a communication issue. We just need to communicate better. Well, James says that the reason we fight and quarrel is because we want something and we can't have it. So I don't buy the communication thing. And I don't think that the God predicting conflict is just, oh, we don't communicate well now. It's that we have become completely turned towards ourselves in an unhealthy way. Our orientation is now one of self-fulfillment. It's not about giving ourselves to the other. It's about what can I get out of this? We're no longer givers, we're takers. In our relationships, this is devastating. We try and get what we want, and when we don't, we move on. Or we manipulate in order to try and make it happen. He turns to Adam and he and he tells him, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall bring forth the food, thorns and thistles. This just sounds really difficult and harsh. And anyone who's tried to raise a garden knows what I'm talking about. It's just miserable stuff. Some of you have green thumbs and the curse does not apply to you. But for the rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us have black thumbs and we kill anything we try and plant. But this isn't just talking about the dirt, and this isn't just talking about crops, and this isn't just talking about how challenging it's going to be to make food happen. It's talking about the difficulty and the harshness of this world that we live in. It's no longer going to be a garden. It is going to be a wasteland. It is going to be a harsh place. It is going to be a difficult place. It's going to be a place where the strong survive. It's going to be... Survival of the fittest. Maybe Darwin was right. Oh, he kind of missed the fall part, but, you know. <laughs> the strong survive. And we learn that, and we do relationships this way as well, because we understand that if you're weak, if you're vulnerable, you can get hurt. And so, instead, we choose to John Wayne it. We choose to go it alone. It's easier to 
seal ourselves off emotionally rather than put ourselves out there and get hurt. And so our relationships suffer because we're not willing to be vulnerable. Well, that's a pretty bleak picture, and I'm glad it doesn't end there, because if so, um, that'd be pretty miserable. But there is hope. If for us to have relationships that thrive, not just inch-deep relationships, not just relationships where we're manipulating and trying to get our own way, but relationships that thrive, that reflect God, that are a place of love, a place of transparency and safety, we do have hope. And we have two things that we need to do. We need to be honest, and we need to be vulnerable. If our natural inclination is to want to shrink back, to hide, to stay in our shame, to seal ourselves off, to try and protect ourselves, then what we need to do is we need to step into the light. We need to say, this is who I really am. Because honesty is the foundation for real relationships. Honesty is the foundation for real relationships. You say, where do you get that, John? Well, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. It's a great verse. They made a song out of it a long time ago, DC Talk. Anyway. Um, <laughs> if we walk in the light. Now, I used to think of light in terms of righteousness, goodness. You know, If we got it together... God is light, and so God is obviously good, and he's obviously righteous, and so if I've got it together, then i got fellowship. If I'm toeing the line, if I'm checking the squares, if I'm walking the way I'm supposed to walk, then I'm all good, and i got fellowship, and oh yeah, Jesus cleansing. Why does he need it? Why does he have to cleanse me if I'm already doing good? Oh, I guess that doesn't work. No. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship, and we're cleansed by Jesus' blood. So what that tells me is that as I'm walking in the light, I have things in my life that I need cleansing from. And walking in the light, is, 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 it's, it's challenging because the light exposes. That's one of the biggest things that lights do. You walk into your room, flip it on, boom. You can see everything that's there. But that's not very comfortable for us. In fact, Jesus said that, you know, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And our evil deeds are the things that we want to keep in the dark. We want to keep them away from the light. We don't want to expose those because that isn't safe. Because we're ashamed of the things that are in the dark. God says, if you want to have relationship with me, you got to do it on my terms, and my terms are you have to be honest. you got to come to me, admitting that you need my help. Step into the light. Bring everything with you, because guess what? I know it already. There's nothing that you can do that I'm not already aware of. God requires honesty, not performance, in order to have relationship. And you say, okay, well, it's one thing to tell God. It's a whole other to share it with everybody else. Well, in case you're thinking that it's just between you and God, I have another verse. James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. 
For our relationships to thrive, they have to be based on honesty, and that's not just with God, it's with each other. We have to be real about what's going on in our lives. We can't hide, we can't pretend. And in case, in case you think uh, that, um, that this is just something that John's talking about and hasn't experienced, I'll share something with you. So <clears throat> about four years ago, I uh, came to the place where I needed to disclose to my wife that my struggle with pornography did not end when we got married. In fact, it was still an ongoing issue something that I needed help with. And that was hard. It was hard to admit that. And, you know, you'd think, oh, that's great. You know, you admit it, move on. No, that was the beginning of a path that I have had to walk for the last four years, and it has not been pleasant. It has been hard. It has hurt. My wife has hurt probably more than me through this process. But it's a, it's a path it's a path of honesty because for us to find healing, for us to actually come to a place where we can have real relationships, they can't be based on lies. You can't present yourself as somebody, you know, those profiles are just, those online profiles, man. You, know, you can put any picture you want on them, you know, you can look great and then someone clicks and they're like, whoa, yeah, you are not who you thought you, you know, you were putting yourself out there as somebody else and this is not who I actually am meeting. So we do that, though, in our own relationships, in real relationships. We put something else out there than who we really are and we hide a piece of ourselves away because we're ashamed of it because this is something that that person, if they really knew, they might leave. I might not get what I want out of that other person. And so it's just not safe for me to be real. It's not safe for me to be honest. But love isn't safe. Love is vulnerable. Love takes a risk. And that's what God did with us. Think about it. God could have stayed in heaven. He could have sent us an email. He could have written on our wall. He could have sent some angelic messenger and written something in the sky. But instead, the God of the universe chose to become a man. He didn't come as Superman, bulletproof. He came as a God who could bleed. And he is a God who bleeds. And he bleeds for us. John 1.14, if you don't believe me, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. The glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. The eternal son whom the father loved, we talked about this at the beginning, the father loves the son and they are in perfect relationship. The father sends his son because he loves this world, this broken, messed up, horrible world. And he sends him into this mess knowing that he's going to be abused, that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to be nailed to a cross, despised, called a fraud, called some terrible things, actually. And he does all of that 
just so that he can extend his crazy, reckless love to each of us, even to the ones who put him there. Because love takes the risk. In order to redeem our pain, he has to enter into our pain. In order to reverse this curse of sin, he has to become a curse for us, Galatians says. So Jesus comes as a man. There's a beautiful passage in Philippians 2. Christ Jesus becomes a man, and he dies. You sum it up, his, his, the beauty of his humility. But it isn't just death, it's death on a cross. It's a criminal's death, it's a despised death, it's an outcast death, it's a rejected death. And for us, the risk that we take when we put ourselves out there in relationship is that we could be rejected. We could be hurt. We could be betrayed. We could have our hearts ripped out. We could lose this person. But that's who God is. God takes the risk because it's worth it. It says that he endured the cross despising the shame. That's who Jesus is. He says, you know what? I don't care about the shame. I don't care about the shame. I'm taking your shame. I don't care about the shame that you bring. I don't care about the shame of the cross. I care about you. That's the Jesus that loves us. That's the God who loves us. The eternal God, the Father and the Son, their relationship is the relationship that he wants to share with us, John 17 says. That same relationship is the relationship he wants us to experience, not just with him, but with each other. And for us to do that, we have to take off the masks. We have to step into the light. We have to get real. And that's scary, and that's terrifying. And it's, there's times where I just want to shrink back into the shadows, and I don't want to talk about those things. I don't want to be real. I want to put on my Sunday face and pretend like everything's fine and say, yeah, brother, how you doing? Everything's great. But everything isn't always great. We have hard things in life. We have things that we're ashamed of. We have difficulties that we go through. And we're not meant to go through them alone. God made us for community. He made us to be there for each other. And he made us not to where we're supposed to be comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, trying to say, who's the best sinner? Because guess what? It's me. Oh, wait, no, that's Paul. He's the chief of sinners. The beauty of grace is that we come with our shame. We embrace it. We say, this is who I am. And you don't try and pretend to be someone else. Paul says, I will glory in nothing else except the cross of Jesus. Because guess what? That speaks of all of my garbage that I bring. And it's in that place that I find grace. I receive God's love, and that love allows me to have love for others. That love allows me to open up and to step into the light and say, yeah, God, I, I don't have it all together. I need you. And that allows us to have relationship with him and with each other. It's not rocket science. We started with the Trinity, but we're ending with a very practical note. 
We're made in God's image, and that means we're relational. We're made to have real relationships that are safe, that are secure, that are based in love, not performance. Even though we live in a harsh, sin-cursed world where it's every man for himself, where we struggle with sin, where we struggle with the, the shame that comes with it, we need to be willing to step into the light if we want to experience those relationships. We need to be willing to be honest, to be vulnerable. If you don't have a place, if you don't have people where you can do that with, you need to find it. You need to have a small group. You need to have that close friend. You need to have someone else that you're doing life with who knows you and you know them because that's how God made us. We're meant to do that. And yes, it's scary. But it's way better in the light than in the shame and the shadows. Take the risk because that's what God does with us. He made himself vulnerable. He bled. He got hurt. But love was worth the risk. We're going to sing a song now about God's reckless love. It's a love that doesn't care what it costs. And I've experienced a taste of that in the love that my wife has shown me through this process. We can be God's love to other people. A reckless love, a love that's willing to get hurt. Because that's who God is. And we love because he first loved us. So, let's pray. God, we, uh, we're a mess. We try to pretend like we're not, and uh, it's so freeing admitting that we are. Lord, you know we're a mess. You see it all, and you say, I'm not going anywhere. And you're the only one that can promise that. You said you will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter how ugly we are, no matter how terrible we are. You've taken it all, you've judged it all at the cross, and you've said, you can come to me without judgment. You can come to me and experience my love because that's all I have for you, is love in Jesus. Lord, help us this week not to listen to those lies, those lies that say we need to stay hidden, that we need to protect ourselves, that we need to take life on our own terms and take care of ourselves, but Lord, would we be willing to risk, would we be vulnerable would we respond by stepping into the light and saying, yes, God, this is who I am, and talk to somebody else and say, this is who I am, and I want to be known. Lord, would you help us to accept each other in Christ, in love? We thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.